0: If you have a Bible with you, turn to Matthew five, please. Matthew five, maybe the very end of it as well. Uh, and we'll be starting in verse 43. Um, but before I read it and say a little bit about it, so Matthew five, starting in verse uh, 43, the, end, the middle of the Sermon of the Mount. Um, years ago, a student of ours actually wasn't a Christian. He had a lot of great questions. He sat down with me, we got uh, breakfast on campus and he started uh, drilling me with questions along this this line. He said, how do you keep loving people when they mess up really big? And then how do you keep loving people actually when they hurt you and they don't really change? Which is a fantastic question. Uh, And I, I think what he was wrestling with was, I don't have the resources to do that. And I don't have the resources around me to be able to do that. And I think that's the question that we need to ask. We have to be able to answer it. And I would say this. So how do you love people who aren't easy to love? Our culture currently, its answer to that question would be, don't. <laughs> don't love people who are not easy to love. Uh, I mean, we live in the age of cancel culture, right? I mean, it, it's the defining mood of our time. And, and when I say that phrase, what I mean is it, it's defined by this uh, notion that if somebody has hurt you, or someone just simply annoys you, or someone just simply disagrees with you, you disagree with them, you actively shun them. You cancel them out of your lives. You, you try to delete them from, you know, social media spaces, but then actual spaces in your life. And so I, I, I found a couple of these. This is really funny. I can show this to you later if you want, if you want to ask me. There's a, uh, an Instagram uh, page that will actually collate real posts and then kind of make fun of them. So I'm sorry if you actually posted one of these, but here we go. Um, real post. Okay. And there's like a sarcastic response after real post forgiving people in silence and never talking to them again is a form of self-care. Sarcastic response, yes, I'm always saying this, abandon people in your life without explanation. (laughs) Real post, never stop being a good person, just change who you're good to. Sarcastic response, boom, only be nice to some people. Real post, if someone wants to know why you're cutting them out of your life, Google exists and they can research why they're toxic. Sarcastic response, don't waste the energy, you don't owe anyone anything. And there's a bunch of these it's really funny so i mean we we are learning from every avenue politics news social media but even like schools i think this can happen in our families and our friend circles it can even happen in the church where we're kind of teaching each other and showing each other i'm going to avoid you or worse i'm going to completely push you away push you out the second you hurt me or the second i disagree with you or vice versa um These are the mantras of our time. And then Jesus kind of comes in here in Matthew 5 and teaches a totally opposite ethic, a countercultural ethic. He says we are called to love unlovable people. We're called to love people who aren't easy. It's the exact opposite of our moment right now. So two very simple things I want you to hone in on of how to do this, how he says we should love difficult people. Uh, unlovable people, is loving those who don't love you back and loving those beyond what they deserve. So love people who don't love you back and then love people even though they don't deserve it. So read with me if if you don't mind standing. Matthew 5, I'll start in verse 43. Here's God's word. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. as your heavenly Father is perfect. You may be seated. All right, so here we go. Loving those who don't love you back, right? This is kind of how Jesus begins. Um, I said earlier this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is a a common uh, sermon series, if you will, that Jesus likely did. There's another version of it in Luke, and we're pretty positive that Jesus would regularly give something like this. Um, If you hear... Blake preach enough. He's going to say a lot of the same things over and over and over again. Me as well. So Jesus would say these things often, and he's teaching. Um, and at this point in the sermon, he's countering a lot of misconceptions. There were cultural misconceptions of who people ought to care about, who they ought to love. Um, and this is why he says in verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Um, the Pharisees and the scribes, these would be the religious leaders, these are the pastors of the day, they took, this is a quote from Leviticus 19, verse 18, they took this quote and they kind of changed it, okay? There's something missing from what Jesus quoted, and then there's something added from what Jesus quoted. So Leviticus nineteen eighteen actually says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. So from Jesus's quote, he's saying like you've heard that it was said. This is the common phrasing of today. There's something missing. As yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. The standard by which to love someone as in the love that you wish others would give to you is not there in the the common quoting of this verse. And then something's added. It's not just you shall love your neighbor, but you shall hate your enemy. That's not in this verse. It's this a total add-on, right? So n- everybody is not your neighbor. There are some people who are your neighbor, and there are some people that are hateful. You can put them in a category, right? And Jesus is saying, that's not love. Don't put limits on people. He says in verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Uh, enemies are people who... Uh, don't have your good in mind. These are people who are against you. They have a strong aversion for you. And interesting, uh, the, the word persecute, you might be like, well, I've never been persecuted. The word in Greek really just means to be harassed. It's anybody who is really antagonistically against you, right? Who, who is out not for your good, but to harm you. And Jesus is saying, love these people. Love the difficult. Love those who are toxic for you. Love those who have harmed you, who complicate your life, who make life uncomfortable for you. Those are the people that you're to love. And this is fascinating. Like if you, you can find this all over the place. There's other places in the Bible. And In Exodus 23, this shows up. There's nothing new here. But in Exodus 23, just one example, verses 4 through 5, the law of God says this, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving it with him. You shall rescue it with him. And what this law is supposed to say is if you're supposed to care about the ox and the donkey of your enemy and of someone who hates you, how much more are you supposed to care for them? This is nothing new, but they got by saying, yeah, there are some people I'm supposed to love, and then there are some people I'm not. (laughs) They're enemies. You know, they're on this side. And Jesus gives two very clear examples of how. To want the good for people and then to do good for people. This is how you love an enemy. He says you need to want their good in prayer. Verse 44, pray for those who persecute you, who harass you. Because when you pray, by definition, you are asking God to do good for someone's life. You're asking God to do good to them. You know, it's difficult to hate them when you are actually asking God to do something good. And then, not just like wanting good things for people, but then doing good. Things. Verse 45, this is why he, he compares this whole thing to God. He goes, don't you know, the, in order to be sons of your father, who's in heaven, if you're going to be like God's children, verse 45, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. God does kind things to everyone regardless of what they do toward him. He's good to everybody. He allows people to flourish. He's saying this is love. Now, pause. What is he not saying? He is not saying that we are called to be doormats. He is not saying that everything that we go through is easy. He's also not saying, he's not belittling any of the harm that we've experienced. I know that there are some of you who've experienced deep harm by others. I have as well. So it requires, I, I'll just have to say, it requires wisdom to be able to figure out how to love somebody like that who's really hurt you. Here's the thing. What is he saying? Beyond what I just said there, we have a knee-jerk reaction to automatically put people in a category where we don't have to love them. That's what he's pushing against. He's saying, don't quickly put people there. Love them by wanting their good. Love them by doing good to them, even though they won't do you good in return. That's the love he's talking about. You know, um, years ago, there was a, uh, a man named Ken Parker. Ken Parker had become a grand dragon in the KKK. Uh, he was a neo-Nazi. He had been in this group for six years. And he went to the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in 2017 And and this started a chain reaction to some interesting things that happened to Parker. Uh, While he was there at the rally, it was hot. Uh, He was wearing black robes. Um, And Dia Khan, a film director, he was Middle Eastern and Indian by descent, um, was near Parker and Parker uh, about passed out because of heat exhaustion. So Dia Khan uh, comes up to him and gives him water. This confused Parker because Parker hated people like Dia Khan and all of a sudden this person is caring for him A couple weeks later, back at Parker's apartment complex, he's uh, grilling in the communal space. And a man named William McKinnon uh, grills next to him. William McKinnon was an African-American, happened to be a pastor. So they started talking, they started asking each other questions, and they got to know each other. And this repeated over and over and over again. So Parker is now becoming friends with this black pastor, and yet again he's confused because it's somebody that he's supposed to hate. And sooner or later, uh, McKinnon invites Ken Parker to his church and he goes on Easter. And then about a month later, maybe a month and a half, uh, he's been visiting this mostly African-American church and uh, they ask him to come up and give a testimony. They ask him to say, you know, what are your thoughts? (laughs) What's happening in your life? So Ken Parker stands up in front of them and says this. I said I was a grand dragon of the KKK and the Klan wasn't hateful enough for me so I decided to become a Nazi. And a lot of them, their jaws about hit the floor, and their eyes got really big. But after the service, not a single one of them had anything negative to say to me. They were all coming up and hugging me and shaking my hand. You know, they were building me up instead of tearing me down. And then William McKinnon, the pastor, baptized Ken Parker. He became a Christian in this church. And there's an awesome video of seeing this, like, you know, mostly all black people just, like, hugging this you know, white guy who was a grand dragon in the KKK. And you have to ask the question, what happened? How did that occur? (laughs) Because William McKinnon knew that God, like he knew that he didn't love God, even though he ought to have loved him, and yet God loved him anyway. And so McKinnon extended that same love to somebody else who didn't love him initially. He gave him the love that he didn't get back because that's what he had gotten from God the point of all of this is that if you see yourself as an enemy who was loved first by God, that's the only way you're going to start to be able to love enemies yourself. It's the only way. Christianity makes this huge claim. Huge claim, right? That God looked down on all of us. He saw all the things we hate about ourselves. All the things, all the evil we've done. All that we will do. All the hateful things that we do. And rather than coming down here to judge us, he came down here to save us. That's what he chose to do. Romans 5, verse 8 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If In verse 10, while we were enemies, you were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Paul here is making the point. God left heaven for you and for me, not because we stopped being sinners, but because we still are sinners. That that on the cross, Jesus is being treated as an enemy, so you and I can be treated as friends. This is, this is his disposition toward people who are against him. The reason that you and I have a hard time loving really difficult people is because we don't realize how difficult it was for God to love us. Here's the irony. The easier you think it is for God to love you, the harder it will be for you to love difficult people. Yet the flip is true. The more difficult you think you are to love for God, the easier it will be for you to love other people. Because the gospel cuts us in two ways, right? It says, you know, (laughs) the God of the universe had to come here to die for you in order to save you. That's how bad your situation is. But then it also says, yeah, the God of the universe came down here to die for you to save you. That's how good he is. It cuts both ways. Right, And it, 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 it puts us in a position of saying, I need you. I need this love that I don't deserve. And the more that you realize he loved you when you don't deserve it, the more you'll extend it to other people. Practically speaking, the question starts milling about or should. Because when Jesus is saying this, people are listening. They start thinking, who's my enemy? Who's difficult for me to love? Who's difficult for you to love? What people, what person... What group even do you more easily write off? Who are you tempted to cancel? Who do you avoid? Who do you wish really wasn't around? Who do you wish wasn't around you? Whoever that is. I mean, there's somebody in your life. There's, there's someone. In my life. They might be the very person that Jesus is nudging you toward to love. That might be the person. And then how? He says, want their good in prayer. Pray for them. It's, I think it's fascinating that he links prayer and loving of an enemy together. It's as if he's saying the person that you struggle to pray for the most is likely the person that you struggle to love the most. Because it's just difficult to hate them when you start praying for them. Jesus did this very thing. We have to remember he's not asking you to do anything he hasn't done. When he was on the cross, he's dying, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like, what would it be like if I prayed for people, especially people who have hurt me, I said, Father, forgive them. I don't think they actually know what they're doing. What would it be like if we, as a church, as people, prayed uh, for people that voted differently than us? Not that big a deal, but it still causes all sorts of problems, right? What would it be like to just start to pray for those people, if that really bothers you, if somebody is in your workplace who you think is maybe a little sexist, uh, a little proud, a little destructive, what would it be like to pray for them? What would it be like to ask God to do good things for them? Someone who's really hurt you, what would it be like to pray for them? It's not easy. <laughs> but this is what He's calling us to do. It, 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 it's stirring something up to be a little different and he says then to do good not just pray for them but then to do kindness toward that person all because God you know rains upon us and gives us done to show that you know he cares Netflix is proof to me that God loves us because it's awesome you know pizza is proof that God loves us because pizza is awesome if you don't like pizza kimmy says it's okay you know but it's awesome Weightlifting is proof that God loves us. If you don't lift weights, you should. Um, You know, like laughter, deep friendships, right? Your kids, your roommates, you know, a good night's sleep, like a fulfilling day of work. Whatever you're going to do later today, these things might be tangible ways God's trying to prove to you that he actually gives a rip about you. He cares. And these small acts of kindness do something. They do something to you. You know, maybe, here's the thing, maybe. if there is somebody, maybe here, but maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member that if you started just to try to do something kind toward them, you might actually begin to like them a little bit more. Maybe. C.S. Lewis says this. He goes, "Don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you'll find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you find yourself disliking him less. So just maybe, right? I mean, this is difficult. It's really, it's very hard. It's like we, we hear this passage and we're like, oh yeah, love your enemies. Like, I can, it's a great bumper sticker, but like, how do you do this, right? Maybe if we pray for people, who we tend to not like. Maybe do a kind thing toward them. Maybe we start to like them more. Just the a first step, right? Love those who don't love us back. And then more briefly, the second part of loving people uh, beyond what they deserve. These overlap. They're really similar, but they're slightly different. Look, look at verse 46. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Did not even the tax collectors do that? Tax collectors uh, were seen in that day as greedy people. They would have been Jews who were working for the Romans who ruled this area, and they were taking taxes from their own, and they were extorting them in the process. They were taking too much off the top. So not only seen as greedy, but they're seen as traitors. Um, he's saying even they love their own. You know, even even those in their own groups love their own groups. Verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So he's saying, look, like everybody who has some type of affinity for someone naturally likes them, naturally greets them, naturally is okay with them. That's normal, right? He's saying the world's love is love those who have given you a reason to love them. But he's saying God's love is love those who have given you a reason not to. Alfred Plummer, he's a theologian who wrote about this. Um, actually, knew William Wilberforce in England, who who um, started the end of slavery there. He says this about this verse: "To return evil for good is devilish; to return good for good is human, but to return good for evil is divine." It it does something more. I'll say this: I'm I'm convinced that we will never. <laughs> Uh, love this way if we are only focused on our rights rather than reconciliation all the time, only focus on what I deserve rather than reconciling with people who are difficult, who are hard. It, Jesus is saying, "My biggest problem, our biggest problem, isn't just that we get wronged by people. it is. Our biggest problem is that when they wrong us, we don't want them in our lives anymore. Martin Luther King. He says this, Forgiveness does not mean ignoring what's been done or putting a false label on an evil act. It means, rather, that the evil act no longer remains as a barrier to the relationship. We can never say, I will forgive you, but I won't have anything further to do with you. Forgiveness means reconciliation, a coming together again. Without this, no man can love his enemies. And again, this isn't saying... That, that Jesus is discounting our pain, right? He hates this. This is actually part of the reason he came to die. It's part of the reason he's also going to come back to judge the world. Like our, the wrong done to us matters deeply. But we, we are in the business of cutting people out of our lives the second that they've wronged us. And then additionally, what, what's starting to happen is that we're in the business of cutting people out of our lives, not when they've wronged us, but when we think they've wronged us. When we feel they've wronged us, that's even a further step beyond. And here's the thing. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not demanding our rights. Like, I, I am grateful I'm not getting what I deserve from God. Right? I'm grateful that rather what he's done is he's trying to reconcile our relationship. He's reconciling himself to you and to me. And then to each other. This is his call. Uh, a couple years back this was around the time of Easter I think it was the week before um, two Coptic churches in Egypt were bombed, and uh, about 44 people died, over 100 were injured. And I, I think it was the day after, because uh, it was leading up to, it was leading up to Easter was what it was. The day after they did service after service, um, one of those churches, the, the pastor, uh, survived. He was there, Pastor Boule. Uh, George is his name. Uh, His sermon title was this, A Message to Those Who Kill Us. And uh, this is what he said. He said, We Christians don't have enemies. We don't have enemies. Others make enmity with us. The Christian doesn't make enemies because we're commanded to love everyone. And so we love you because this is the teaching of our God, that I'm to love you. No matter what you do to me, I love you very much. I want to say one last thing to you because he moves on and says, we're praying for you. Because the one who told us to love you told us to bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. So my instructions from my loving God make it my duty to pray for you. In the very end of the sermon, he says this to the uh, congregation. What do you think? How about we commit to pray for them? What if we pray that they know the love of God? Pray that they experience the love of God? Because if they knew that God is love and experienced his love... They could not do these things. Never, never, never. This is amazing. He just got bombed. People have died in their congregation. And he's saying, if if they actually knew the love of God, though, they wouldn't do this. So let's show them the love of God. And maybe they'll change. Like, what would it be like? I really think Jesus is calling us to do this. What would it be like if, if the rest of our days, we just committed to giving people what they don't deserve all the time? Like what would happen? Like if your relative is a little racist and rather than avoiding them at the family dinner like the plague, you talk with them. You ask them questions. You give them the time of day. You know What would it be like if you became known as the person that didn't uh, jump down people's throats the second they actually voiced their political opinions in public? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't destroy them. You know, what if you were known as that person? What if you were known as the person that just simply didn't quit on people? People hurt you, people snub you, people, whatever, they wrong you, and you just stick with them. Like, you just, you keep being their friend. There is somebody in your life who doesn't deserve your love. What if you gave it to them? What would happen? I I really do think what would start to happen if, if we start doing this. We believe we've already received this committing to give people what they don't deserve is that people would start to change. People who were unlovable would start to become a little more lovely. I mean, Jesus ends saying uh, in verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He's saying this is the standard, and I say, I'm not perfect, Jesus, and he's like, I know. (laughs) I know you're not, but you've already been loved perfectly, and this is how it's going to work. This is how it's going to work. When you start receiving this life-altering love, other people's lives will be altered by your love that you give to them, especially when they don't deserve it. I'll just end saying this. This world will not change if we keep just loving people who love us back or giving people what they deserve all the time. That's not radical enough. Jesus, however— has changed the world because he decided to love people who never deserve an ounce of it because it changed them because something happens. Something happens when you don't get what you deserve. Something happens to a person when they've wronged somebody else and that very person keeps loving them. Something happens when someone realizes they deserve judgment and they get mercy instead and that something is Jesus. (laughs) That's what they experience when you and I extend that love to each other because of the love we have they start tasting the love of God. I'll, let me end with this story. 2005, it's another example of this. I hope this is encouraging hearing these stories. It encourages me. Um, 2005, Jamil McGee was arrested by police officer, Andrew Collins. Um, McGee went to prison for uh, drug sales. And it turns out that Collins, the officer, uh, was in the business of falsifying reports, planting evidence, so on and so forth and got uh, convicted and went to jail for what he did. But that was four years after McGee had already been in prison and McGee got released uh, for something he didn't do. And he said in an interview that when he got out of prison that the only thing he wanted to do was find Collins and hurt him. And 10 years later, 2015, uh, it just so happens that McGee, former prisoner, and Collins, former cop, find themselves working at the same coffee shop And they started talking and, uh, you know, realizing who the other was. Collins, the former uh, police officer, said he had no explanation for why he did what he did, but he just said, I'm sorry, to McGee. And then McGee says this in the interview. "That was pretty much what I needed to hear. He forgave him. He became his friend. Collins, the police officer, former police officer, said, I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. I don't deserve that. And the interviewer asked, Do you, did you forgive for his sake or for yours? And then McGee said, I forgave him for our sake. Not just us, but for our sake. He meant like everybody. <laughs> McGee um, uh, said that he loved the man who wrongly put him in prison because he's a Christian. Uh, and they're friends now and they actually give speeches on uh, reconciliation, redemption, and forgiveness. This is newsworthy because it's awesome. Uh, Jesus loves enemies until they become friends. That's what he's calling us to do because he's done that for you already. My hope, my, my hope for myself first, but then for everybody is that we would extend this to other people. And then maybe, maybe just a little bit, we would start seeing people change. Let's pray. Lord, I just simply ask that you would help us with this very difficult but very good uh, part in your word that we would, uh, yes, learn it, but that we would be challenged by it and that you would uh, change something in each of us today um, to, one, be so thankful for the love that you've given us when we don't deserve it, but then to extend that love to other people and watch Lord, please change us, and then please change this world. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.